The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. to welcome into our pulpit tonight, Jason Quay, relatively new supported missionary. He and his wife, I, and their children serve in Japan, a bedroom community outside Tokyo and a work of church planting. They were there for two years and are now back based just outside of Philadelphia to raise support to go back uh, full time. And it's been a delight for us to get to know them better. Uh, this last fall, I believe we introduced them to the congregation evening service uh, last fall. And uh, I think they earned some distinction being high in the rankings of cutest missionary kids uh, in the, the listings of our, of our missionary, supported missionary families. But we're delighted for Jason uh, to bring God's word to us tonight. Well, thank you very much. And um, it's a pleasure and honor to, uh, to preach to you this evening to close out the uh, Westminster uh, Presbyterian Church Missions Conference um, if the height of this pulpit is any indication, I would say this is the highest honor that I've experienced so far. So thank you very much. And um, we're just really thankful to be here. Um, you guys have been so warm and kind to us. Um, you know, our, our children, unfortunately, aren't here this evening um, because they're kind of churched out. <laughs> they, uh, they spent uh, this morning playing around at, and, and experienced church, and when uh, afternoon came and evening came, they um, decided they'd rather stay in. But thankfully, uh, we're staying with the Irvings, and um, Becky has been kind enough, is kind enough to be taking care of them, and we're really thankful for that. Um, so as many of you may remember, um, we, we are the Quays. I'm Jason Quay, and we're missionaries to Japan. And we're sent by Surge. And as Tucker mentioned, we're uh, working at a church just right outside of Tokyo in a town called Shinurayasu. It's a strategic town because it's a new um, development of 40,000 people, about 10,000 families, uh, 10,000 households, and we're the only church in the community. Now, if I say um, Shinurayasu, you know, that probably won't ring a bell. Um, you might probably forget it really quickly. But I'd just like you to remember it's the town where Tokyo Disneyland is. Um, so we've been on home assignment since this summer, and we're hoping to be able to wrap up and to go back by um, around Easter time. And, you know, when people ask you, uh, where are you going? Uh, do you remember this old commercial where after a team wins a uh, Super Bowl, they ask this, like the quarterback, you just won the Super Bowl, where are you going? And, and the quarterback says, I'm going to Disneyland. So we're, uh, we're going to say, uh, we're go returning to Tokyo Disneyland. Um, so that's where we're going. Now, um, this is our first time at this conference, and I'm thankful we could come here. You know, one of the blessings about being on home assignment and um, coming to a conference like this is being able to step back from just, you know, the daily 
running of a church and being able to talk with other pastors and missionaries about their experiences, about their challenges, and um, to, to get inspiration and ideas. Uh, for example, I was able to have a phone call a few months ago with um, David Kiefer about men's ministry, how um, to approach that, drawing Japanese men to come to church because that's a challenge in Japan, and I've uh, been really feel blessed by that. And it's really to see at this conference just the breadth of missions being ported. You know, it's amazing to see the wide range of people being ministered to. You know, besides uh, missionaries to countries like China, uh, we met people working to minister Christ to women who have unexpected pregnancies, American Indians and uh, Hindu Indians, and soldiers. And it's inspiring to hear stories like um, Stephen Beck's Mosaic Church this morning to see how God is working to draw uh, people from all nations uh, in Germany to gather in worship. Um, I also heard about challenges. I was talking with uh, Rick Heifner this er earlier today and yesterday because he mentioned um, how difficult it was to draw, or it is, to draw um, high-class Hindus um, in India to, to um, come to faith and then to share the faith with others um, in their community. And, you know, this is also similar in Japan because, you know, it's hard for Japanese people, especially Japanese men, to uh, believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And some of the reasons include, um, for example, giving up the question of I their, their Japanese identity, you know, and responsibilities to their family. For example, um, taking care of the family graves because that's um, an important responsibility but it's also considered an act of worship. And so what happens when you become a Christian and you have to, and you have to deal with that responsibility? And uh, I'll be glad, happy to talk more with you um, after worship about that. But So we see that there are areas of the world where the church is growing quickly, but also where the church is not growing quickly or it's not even growing at all. For example, um, Japan is been constantly at 1% um, Christian out of the entire population. So why send out missionaries to a place like Japan or to a place like India? You know, did, did you guys know that um, you know, Google, which we use every day, they don't have operations in mainland China? So if you go to mainland China, you can't use Google at all. You can't use Facebook either and you can't get a um, ride with Uber. And it's all because the challenges they face there, the business environment is too hard. There are government um, constraints like sensors and there's local competition. So Google and Facebook and Uber, they decided to pull out of mainland China. So if, a church, if the church is like a business, you know, the church would be, um, Westminster Presbyterian Church would be, perfectly justified in not sending out missionaries to places like Japan. But why send out missionaries to Japan and other parts of the world where the soil is rocky? You know, why not save resources for places where people are more receptive to the gospel? Well, it's because the ch church is not a business. You know, it doesn't divide the world into markets and say, well, if this part of the world, you know, the market share isn't growing, well, we're going to withdraw from that. It's because the church is called by Jesus Christ to go and make disciples 
of all nations. And what's more, it has the assurance from Jesus Christ that there will be disciples from all nations. And we'll see from today's passage, the Holy Spirit gathers us as one people, one church. It sends us out as one church. And not, ju- not just that, because of the Holy Spirit pouring out, coming down to us, we are sent out boldly and joyfully as one people with one voice to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. So let's listen now to God's holy word. We're reading from Acts 2, chapter, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. It's found on page 909 in your pew Bible. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have gathered us as one church, and you sent us out as one church to proclaim the truth of your Son, Jesus Christ, with one voice, one body, one faith. We thank you for that, Lord. Lord, please help us go out and preach the good news, not just to other countries like Japan and China and India, but also to our neighbors, to our First Nation neighbors, to the neighbors next street over, to those who cannot come to church and to those in prison, to all, everybody who needs to hear the message of your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. And Lord, please help us remember that it is only with your Spirit that we can do this, Lord. Without your Spirit, we would not have the power. It is with your Spirit that you give us boldness and joy and unity, Lord. Please help us remember that afresh tonight, Lord. It's in your Son's name we pray. So today's passage is the famous text that describes Pentecost. And as you know, Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit descended on God's people. 
it's regarded as the birthday of the Christian Church. Now, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus Christ's disciples. Why were they meeting in the house? Well, they had met the risen Lord after his resurrection, and he stayed with them for 40 days, teaching them about the heaven of, about the kingdom of God. And then he told them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait and receive the promise of the Father. So in today's passage, 120 of them, including women, were gathered to wait for the promise of the Father. Well, what happens next? It's unlike anything that they have ever experienced. Well, and as it says in uh, today's passage, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they went out and proclaimed the mighty words of God. In this tongue, what, what happened was that, even more amazing, was that the Jews and converts to Judaism who gathered in Jerusalem, you know, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and all these God's people could understand the message about God's mighty work in their own language. So what we see here is that God intends his people to understand him in his own language. And what's more, that they could understand him perfectly and completely in their own language. And that really gives us confidence to give out and proclaim the gospel message. Because Christianity is not like Islam, where the perfect understanding of God is only attainable if you know Arabic, the language of the Quran. God's Holy Spirit guides people, his people, into all truth, as John uh, chapter 16 says. And so this gives us the confidence that we can preach to other nations about God's message, and thanks to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we will be understood. Now, one of the challenges of presenting the gospel to the Japanese people is to tell them what sin is. You know, in our English language, sin has become part of our, you know, everyday language. You know, and, and it's, it means, you know, of course, sin means everything that we do that turns us away from God. But in our everyday language, it means a wrong, so something that leads to bad consequences. So we say, for example, oh, you know, this dessert is so sinful, meaning, you know, if you eat it, you'll gain a few pounds. But in Japanese, the word sin is not a part of everyday vocabulary. You know, the word tsumi has a connotation of crime. So when we preach that we are sinners, the average Japanese people will think, well, I'm not a criminal. You know, I am a good person and I don't have a criminal record. So, you know, how can you say that, you know, I am a sinner? But of course, all people outside of Christ do not think that they're sinners. It's, that's, that's the universal condition of sin. It's only by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that a person is convicted of 
their sin and comes to faith, realizing they need Jesus Christ as their uh, Lord and Savior. And this happens in Japan too, when we ha- when people come to faith in Japan. Even though the word sin isn't a common concept, when a Japanese people come to faith, they understand, just as everyone gathered here belonging to the Lord do, that they are sinners. You know, the Japanese people who come to Christ will say, I am a criminal because I have committed crimes against God. When um, we, our church has been meeting for eight years now, it's uh, still considered a small church by uh, American standards, but by Japanese uh, standards, it's not an insignificant church. We have about 30 people or so. And we had our first convert to um, Christianity. We had the first woman who professed her faith um, in Jesus Christ. Um, she did so about in 2014. And she had been coming to our Bible study. And of course, she was like a typical Japanese person who was approaching the Bible for the first time. But she testified that the Holy Spirit led her to understand what it meant to be a sinner and to know that she needed Jesus. Uh, She wrote um, when she was baptized, uh, when I read the Bible, I could not understand many things. But through the work of the Holy Spirit, I started to know what was written in the Bible. That's true. I understood what was written in the Bible is true, that God created heavens and earth, that he is the only God. My stubborn thought of I who believe in Buddhism, who could never become Christian, was untangled with the Holy Spirit's working in my heart. And she talked about attending a a ladies' conference, and she said, after listening to the speaker's testimony, I clearly understood that until now, the fact that I thought and I acted and I thought and acted self-centeredly, and that was a sin. And because of my lust and pride, I took actions that I couldn't help myself and may have hurt my family and friends who are precious to me. I was a slave to sin, and the result of sin is death. And because of that, she accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And what um, Naoko's testimony shows is that the Holy Spirit guides her to truth in Christ. She could understand it in her own language, in her context. And because of that, we can be confident that when we reach out to others with a message of Jesus Christ about God's mighty works, that can also reach them, thanks to the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, you know, we need to be sensitive about the areas they have difficulty understanding about what the barriers are. And, you know, that is what, that is part of a missionary's work and part of studying contextualization. But this is also just a common part of communication to, un- to try to reach the other person in terms they can understand and together to reach a new understanding in Jesus Christ. And this is part of our confidence that God's word won't return empty. Now, the Holy Spirit also makes God's people bold to speak about him and spread his 
message. So how do we know this? Well, immediately after the, his disciples received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, they moved out immediately and proclaimed God's mighty works. Now, why did they do that? Well, of course, we can say that they remember what Jesus Christ said to them in the first chapter of Acts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So when the Holy Spirit came, it empowered them to move out to be God's witnesses to all the people who had gathered in Jerusalem first and then to Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What I think more concretely, more keenly, they felt and knew Jesus Christ was with them. You know, they had labored with Jesus Christ uh, throughout his years of ministry to spread the news about God's kingdom. And they feared that all was lost when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. And they regained hope again when he reappeared to them, resurrected. Then Jesus Christ ascended to heaven. Did he leave them again? No. He said to them, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And with the descent of the Holy Spirit, he impressed this truth on his disciples. You know, when I was in seminary, um, I had Richard Gaffin, Dr. Richard Gaffin, as my professor for Acts and Paul. And his lecture on the Holy Spirit really made an impression on me, and it really influenced me on how I understood God's, um, the Holy Spirit's activity with us. And this is what he wrote, that when Jesus Christ said that he will be with us, he, he just doesn't mean that it's because that, you know, he's omnipresent, but it's also because the Holy Spirit ministers Christ to us. When Jesus says, I will be with you to the end of the age, he's talking about here the I is the life-giving spirit. You know, as um, Paul wrote in the first Corinthians chapter 15, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus Christ, became a life-giving spirit. And because Jesus Christ sent his Holy Spirit you can feel that he is constantly with us. Now, um, the Apostle Paul is, you know, the most influential missionary and the church planter in, in the history of Christianity. And he represents the ideal of a missionary, you know, energetic, able to withstand all sorts of hardships. But what he often forgets, what we often forget is that, you know, at least I did until... I was preparing for the sermon, I was reminded again that he frequently, constantly traveled with companions and co-laborers. He didn't do it alone. You know, he called Timothy his beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He spent 20 years with Titus, his partners, and fellow co-worker. And through this, he saw Jesus Christ in his fellow co-workers. 
and he saw Jesus Christ with him at all times. That's why, you know, when he was imprisoned in Rome, he wrote, and uh, he was, when he was preaching to the Gentiles, he wrote, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. And this is really, I mean, this is a really convicting message for me to forget. Um, you know, by nature, I'm a uh, go-getter, I'm an achiever, I'm achievement-oriented. And, you know, this week we were preparing to come to this conference and my wife, I, fell sick. And she said, I don't think I can come to this conference. I think you have to go by yourself. And I was like, oh no, you know, I can't do this with, you know, without you. You know, I, I know that she is, we are together in one in Christ. She is my helpmate. Um, but when she said that uh, I can't, she can't come with me, I, I got mad at her. I was like, are you really sick or are you just like stressed out, you know? And you see, I had forgotten, I mean, I, I knew in my mind that she was my one and only, my help meet, but I have, have forgotten that she's also ministering the Holy Spirit to me, just as Paul's co-labors minister the Spirit to him. You know, I had forgotten that, um, that I need co-workers, not, not just, you know, to be a um, fellow, um, to, to help somebody carry the burden, but to, for me to see Jesus Christ in them. And I, I forgot to do that with my wife. And I had apologized to her, but I really want to say, sorry, honey, please forgive me. So we see that through Jesus Christ, um, th- sorry, through the falling of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ is with his disciples and with us today. And that helps us tremendously as we go out and minister to others. Now, finally, I want to say that the Holy Spirit fills God's people with joy. And how do we know that? You know, when, when we look at God, what God did at Pentecost, we cannot help but to be filled with joy and thanksgiving. Now, when the Holy Spirit first appeared to the disciples, you wouldn't think that because it appeared to them in two ways. First, came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, which is how you know, the Old Testament has described God, the Holy Spirit, as breath or as wind, and it filled the house with trembling. Oh, sorry, filled the house where they were sitting. But what's more than that, besides filling the house with the sound of a violent wind, the disciples saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, why did the disciple, why did the Holy Spirit appear here like tongues of fire? The answer can be found in what Jesus Christ told his disciples when, the, when he told them to wait for the Spirit. He said, wait for the promise of the Father. And he said, you'll hear from me, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, what happened with this baptism of fire? Well, they, 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 the disciples moved out, praising God, testifying about the mighty works of God. And what's more, 
the people who heard them thought they were drunk. Now it may be because you know they didn't they hear some different languages, but I think it's also because the way they were talking about Jesus Christ's work, about God's work, they were so exuberant, so giddy. Now I'm not sure. I'm sure um, not many, you guys have not been quite drunk before, but when you feel the effects of alcohol, oftentimes you feel relaxed, very. Exuberant. You talk faster, and I think this is what the disciple, what the other people who saw the disciples saw. They were excited, praising God for what He done, proclaiming His work. Now, why were they so joyous? You know, when Jesus told them to wait for the Holy Spirit, and He was、um, repeating what John the Baptist had prophesied. And John the Baptist, when Jesus Christ began his ministry, said, "I baptize you with water for repentance, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire."、Uh, this is Matthew chapter three. He then says, "His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn." But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. You know, John here is referring to、um, language of the prophets from Malachi and Jeremiah, among them. And in Jeremiah, you know, he, Jeremiah 15, he, he talks about judgment on God's people. God says, "I will winnow them with a winnowing fork at the city gates of the land." And in Malachi 4, chapter 4. Um, the prophet says, "Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when the tall, the arrogant, the tall evil doers will be stubble. The day is, that is coming shall be set, shall set them ablaze," says the Lord of hosts, "so that you will leave them neither root nor branch." What this means is that when the Messiah appears, it's not just salvation, but he also brings judgment. He brings both salvation and curse. Salvation for those who believe and are united to Him, but also curse for those who do not believe in Him, who reject in Him. And to purify, He will purify the heavens and the earth, because He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And He will judge people's thoughts, words, and deeds. He will gather them. And those he judges to be good, the wheat he will keep; those he judges to be bad, the chaff he will burn away. So, in other words, if we do not have good thoughts, if we do not act rightly, we will suffer God's judgment. Now, when Jesus Christ appears, he goes straight to John the Baptist and asks John the Baptist to baptize him. Now John the Baptist is surprised because Jesus Christ is the sinless one, the Lamb of God, and John's baptism is one of repentance. So why does Jesus Christ need to come to John, go to John the Baptist for baptism? You know, John says, "I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me?" And this is in,、um, Matthew three, and Jesus replies, "Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us." To fulfill 
all righteousness. And then Jesus Christ is baptized by John. See, to redeem us, Jesus Christ went to the cross and he hung on the cross and he died. And three days later, he appeared, he rose from the dead. And he then appeared to his disciples and promised them that he would be with them till the end of the age. And they were gathered to wait for the promise of Jesus Christ. And then tongues of fire appeared. Now Jesus Christ promised them that he would give them the promise of the Father. He would give them blessings. But a terrifying thing appeared. How, why would it be so terrifying? It surely can't be judgment, can it? And that's, why they, that's when they understood. Because we are all sinners, we cannot escape the judgment of God. You know, the hope, but the Holy Spirit did not consume the disciples with fire, but instead rested on each one of them. And that's because when Jesus was baptized, he received the Holy Spirit's judging fire. To fulfill all righteousness, he took the fire of judgment that we deserved so that at Pentecost, his disciples and then his church and us who are gathered in his name, who are one in him, receive the blessing of Christ. And when the disciples understood that, they can only be filled with joy. And that's why when they went out to proclaim God's mighty works so joyfully. And this is the true meaning of God's grace, that Jesus Christ received the punishment for us. He became the chaff so that we might be saved as the wheat. You know, um, I's grandmother, we shared this story when we um, met with um, some of you. She received her baptism at age 98. You know, we had um, prayed for a long time, and she finally, um, you know, one, one day she realized that all meets, would meet the judgment of God, and she asked I's mother, who uh, was the first Christian in the family, you know, is it true that Jesus can forgive any sin? And, and of course, the answer is yes. By receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, you will be forgiven. And what's more, you will know that your eternal destination is with Him. And that gave, and 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 that just filled Ice Grandmother with joy. You know, um, she had been chanting Buddhist uh, mantras all her life um, before going to bed. And the purpose of a Buddhist mantra is to get power to receive peace and then to receive salvation. It's something that you have to do to earn. But because Ice grandmother received the good news of Jesus Christ, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And afterwards, she started praying the Lord's Prayer. And, you know, when um, she was baptized... I's father at that time, who wasn't, uh, when he, I's father, who wasn't a Christian at that time, said, 
You know, I'm so happy to know that she has confidence where she's going. And you know what? A few years later, I's father, just last January, professed faith in Jesus Christ. And it's all because he saw the joy that um, his mother had. So in, in today's passage, then, we see that the Holy Spirit fills us with unity. We are sent out as one church proclaiming the one truth of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit emboldens us, helps us see our fellow co-workers as representing Christ, and then gives us the energy to go forth and serve in His name. And then the Holy Spirit gives us joy to do so. I hope that whenever you feel tired, whenever you feel weary, that you will remember again the Holy Spirit falling upon you, giving you peace. God saying, this is my beloved son. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what your son Jesus Christ did for us, Lord. We thank you that he led a perfect life and died as the sacrificial lamb for us so that we can receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit and then to go out boldly with one voice joyfully to proclaim your son Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we have confidence to do this because your son Jesus is with us now and forever, Lord. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.